Welcome to Once and Future Authors, Changing Lives One Book at a Time. I'm Stephanie Larkin, an author, independent publisher, and book coach. And each week we will be discussing processes and strategies to get your book finished and published and meet authors and publishing experts to tap into their experiences and expertise. There is one book out there that can change your life, and that is the book you write. So welcome aboard. This podcast is produced by Red Penguin Books, an independent publishing company working with authors of all genres. Whether you have a manuscript all ready to go, a book still stuck in your head, or perhaps even hundreds of handwritten sheets of loose leaf shoved in a drawer, visit redpenguinbooks.com and unleash your inner author. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Once and Future Authors Podcast. I'm Stephanie, and I'm so delighted to be joined today by author Danielle M. Orsino, author of Birth of the Fae. You have no idea how this book actually looks in person and feels, feels fabulous. I've had it on my desk all week, and my, my assistant keeps walking by and touching it. <laughs> That's when it wasn't That's on so my great. night table, so I can get a, a peek at it myself. So I'm so delighted to have Danielle with us. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I so appreciate it. Oh, I'm so thrilled to have you. And thank you for sending this along so I can get a preview. You're welcome. You are my first author to show up with a tiara on, I have to tell you. Well, I think as Lady Serena says in Birth of the Fae, uh, every gal should wear a crown. Uh, so this was made for by a fan, actually, who's turned into a wonderful friend, um, Jamie at Enchanting Earth. She owns a crystal shop in Topeka, Kansas, read the book contacted me and said we should collab on an aurora crown no. so she actually made the queen aurora crown after she read the book oh and my now God. sells it on her website on instagram in her shop so now everybody can wear a crown and i think it's just a lovely message so i, I thank jamie all the time and everybody can now have a little piece of the of the veil which i think is really really sweet I think I think that is about the best compliment that you could possibly receive from a rock. Oh, oh. That that like you heart. ordered crowns and said this would be a great tie into the book. Like a fan actually came to you. Yeah, she actually contacted me. Um, we met through Instagram and then she said, I've read the book and she complimented me on the fact that we used the crystals properly because she, like I said, she owns this beautiful crystal crystal shop in Topeka, Kansas. And she's on Instagram at Enchanting Earth Co. And she just said, look, you did the right thing with the crystals. You used them properly. The meanings are there. And you made them a real part of the book. So we started talking and, you know, she loved th this idea of a crown. And there's the quote that Lady Serena says, where, you know, to uh, Aurora, every gal should always wear a crown. And so from there, she took that and ran with it. And we collaborated on the Queen Aurora crown. And now we have people buying crowns and wearing them and then giving it to their best friend and their mothers, their grandmothers. You know, it just kind of went from there and it's taken on a life of its own. So for me, I was completely flattered and blown away. And then it's, it's kind of, like I said, taken on a life of its own, which I love. That is outrageous. I love that. Tell me a little bit about the crystals and the research into it. Were you always into crystals and you just knew, or did you have to really dive deep to find out to make sure you were authentic with it all? Uh, it, it was a little bit of both. I had, I knew of crystals. I had some little knowledge of them, 
but um, one of my besties actually had pointed out uh, she had more knowledge of it. And she said, this is where you should go. So I started visiting crystal shops and doing more research because I did want to get it correct. I didn't want to just make it up willy nilly. So I really started thinking about it and then getting books, reading into it and making sure that when I was diving in, I knew exactly where I was going with it. And I had to, I had to really get into it because like black kyanite, the armor, I didn't know if it was going to work. Does it really withstand? You know, I had some people say, well, you know, black kyanite is brittle. And I'm like, all right, now you're getting a little, now we're getting technical, but I wanted to make sure the meaning, the metaphysical meanings of, you know, opening up the chakras, taking out negative energy, those type of things I was correct on. And that was where I wanted to make sure that I knew what I was talking about. And even down to the spells that were written, the herbs that were used, the crystals, everything meshed together that I had to really sit and do my research on. And that took me a long time. I am so thrilled to hear that. You know, people think that nonfiction books get researched and fiction books, we just make stuff up. But no, oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 Thank you. I can, I can say for sure. No, <laughs> that's, that is a common myth out there that like fiction writers just sit there and go, oh, I'll just make this up. I'll do that. No, the amount of research that went into this book because I am not a classically tra trained writer. I did not sit down. I did not go to school for creative writing. Not, none of that. Uh, my dragons, for instance, took months of research. I had to, I went to Westchester Community College. I sat with an engineering professor, um, a physics professor, and I had to make sure these dragons would exist. They were plausible. I did not want Game of Thrones 747 size dragons. <laughs> I, th that was the least thing I, I knew that was not what I wanted. Right. So I went, um, I spoke to my vet. Ooh. I walked in with my dogs. I sat my little Yorkie on the table and I said, I'm going to make him a dragon. And my vet looked at me and he went, I'm sorry, what? I said, he's a chameleon dragon. And I took out pictures of chameleons and I said, this is how they work. Carlos is going to be a dragon. So if I want to make a fire breathing dragon, here's the digestive system. I'm going to build them from the inside out. And I did that with the acid breathers, the ice breathers, the fire breathers. I built them all from their digestive systems out. And I consulted my vet first. Then I went to Westchester Community College, sat with the engineering and physics professors and said, if I want to make a dragon fly, I want to base it on the albatross theory of thermodynamics and gliding. These dragons are not going to launch themselves up into the air like Superman. How do I do this? And this is my theory. And they actually made it their midterm project. Oh, wow. So the kids had, um, the students had, I think, two months. I gave them here. This is the height. This is the weight I want. Here's my idea. And they presented their findings to me on would these dragons fly? And they based it off of my four main dragons. You know, they based it off of Yanka, Dragor, Raycor, and Los. And this is what we came up with. And that's what I wound up using in the book. The size of the dragons, everything were based off these presentations. But those dragons took nine months overall to really come up with, will they make it? Because if I was on Mythbusters, I wanted to be plausible. Right, right. And that was where I, I came from it. Because to me, dragons are fantasy vernacular. Right, right. We all open up a 
a fantasy book and expect to see a dragon. <laughs> I needed okay. it to be plausible. I have a totally different view now after reading and hearing it was inspired with a Yorkie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yes, Yeah, no, no, but I'm loving that you started with an actual animal and then mm -hmm. researched and spoke with with you know doctors, vets, engineers mm -hmm. to make sure that this would actually work. And that's yes. why I, I love the way you talk about a fantasy book with such technical terms because I've, I've been on the show before discussing world building and consistency and how if you're going to build this world whether mm -hmm. it's you know fantasy or historical fiction or whatever it's going to be you have to make sure that e either the laws of physics work or they don't work but they're suspended in the exact same way every single time so yes. that there is consistency your world actually has to work and yes. you're being so good about detailing how people can make sure that that happens. Because people might hear that and say, well, how do I do that? And you're going step by step. This is how I did it. This is how I made sure that the dragons would work. Fantastic. Yes. This is how I made sure the crystals would work. Absolutely. Anything else that you had to do some heavy research on? Uh, because the, the basis was religious and i'm going to use the term very loosely because you know i've caused such a hubbub about it i did have to do research on uh the archangel caste system okay and so i did you know i did do a deep dive into the religious texts and the systems i found out you know virtue angels did exist in the catholic system of angels now obviously the power brigade did not that was you know we took some liberties with that, we took some artistic liberties, but the virtue angels did exist in old texts. There were angels that took care of nature. So I grabbed from that, but I had to do a lot of religious research and, and figure some things out on where I was going to be artistic, where I was going to take from, um, from the religious texts, where it wasn't. I had to kind of really figure out where I was going to go with things, how far back, kind of what I was going to do. Uh, so that had to be kind of planned and then go from there because I didn't know, I didn't consciously sit down and say, I'm going to world build. I didn't know that part. Yes, I'm a fan of fantasy, uh, paranormal, urban paranormal, but I didn't, because I'm not classically trained, I did not set out and say step one, step two. I took a corner of the world, almost like I was building a jigsaw puzzle. I took my corners without really knowing so my dragons i was like okay i'm gonna have dragons so let's make sure they work my magical system all right i know i'm basing it on the elements so let's figure out how those elements work i kind of did it that way and built my outer corners and then went in from there and tried to make sure it made sense i looked at it more from a comic book hmm. kind of perspective because I'm a comic book geek. So <laughs> I looked at it from what do I like and what do I wish sometimes was done differently and went that way and took a lot of cues from pop culture mm -hmm. in that sense on, um, you know, kind of the archetypes that I enjoyed, you know, um, for an example, Aurora, my main female protagonist, uh, I remember watching the movie Ever After with Drew Barrymore. Yep. That was the first time I saw a fairy tale where the princess did all the rescuing. She did not need 
a man to rescue her. The prince did not rescue her. She did all the rescuing. And by the time he finally realized, oh my God, she's the one, I'm going to go rescue her. She was already walking out the door going, look, I already handled everything. I'm good. If you want me, great. If you don't, I'm still going to go be okay. And I remember watching that movie and that struck such a chord with me that I rewatched it again as I was writing, thinking that's kind of the way I want my women to be. As pretty as she was, she was smart, she was kind, she was brave. That's my basis. So the deep dives I was doing was more on, as a woman, how do I want to portray my women and go from there? So I kind of looked around like what's missing nowadays and worked it backwards. So like I said, whether it's the correct way, I don't know. You know, there's there's certainly more than one way to write a book, but I love your thoughtfulness. And you are so good about expressing that so that uh, listeners who are wanting to write books are saying, ooh, she's my kind of author. She's cerebral, you know, like she's, she's methodical. She actually went into this with a plan. So many times we have authors that, you know, they just sit down and whatever comes out, comes out. And that might work for a first draft and then things have to, you know, yeah, things have to change. They have to change a lot. But yeah. uh, you certainly approach things in a very methodical way to make sure that it held water the whole way through. And I love that. I, I definitely tried. I mean, when the book started, it's funny because, you know, I was telling the story orally to a patient. This just came off the top of my, as I started. And then when it came down, when he really said, you need to sit and write this book now. That's when I was like, okay, I remember what I said to you, but now I have to really put flesh to bone. So that's where it was like, mm-hmm. okay, if I'm going to do this, that now I have to start doing this research. And that's where I had to get into things a little bit more. And you've got to, you've got to dig telling a story to somebody is one thing because you can, you can inflect the line. You know, I can say it a certain way, but someone else is going to read that same line. Totally different. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you often tell stories to patients? This was the first time I did it because he asked me, he, he asked for it. You know, he was, I was working um, in a Lyme disease clinic. I was uh, taking care of, you know, seeing the patients day to day, but then I was also working the infusion room and this particular patient was driving long distances. And finally he said, you know what, Danny, these long distances, it's just not going to work. So he said, I need to be entertained. Like, tell me something, do something. I don't care. I don't care if you, <laughs> you mind, you know, act two for me, just do something. So I said, you know, tell me something interesting about yourself. And he said, well, I was recruited by the CIA right out of college. And I went, oh, you should have taken the job. We could have found out what was in area 51, you know, cause I was a big crypto fan, you know, whatever. And he went and he explained why he didn't take it. And just out of my mouth came well, you know where Lyme really comes from. And he went, yeah, I know Plum Island. We went through the conspiracy theories. And I said, no, still to this day, I don't know what made me say this. I said, the Fed. And he went, what? And I said, you know, fairies. I said, you know, angels that were locked out of heaven. Once again, don't know where my mind was going with this. I can't think of what I watched before. I don't know. And he went, "Um, I've never heard of that. And I said, oh, well, let me tell you. And I sat down and started talking to him. And every day I told him a new little tidbit and things just started happening. Like the doctor had a big black Labrador retriever and the dog walked in one day and I went, and then there, they, you know, King, the King had this big black dragon 
And that's where, you know, Dragor came from. And so things just kind of evolved. And finally he said, you need to write this down. He's like, you need to write the story. And I went, yeah, one day, one day, you know. And finally one day I was like, okay, I'm going to write it down. Oh my gosh. And that's, and nine months, it took me nine months to write. I wrote three books, the first three drafts of books, one, two, and three, nine months. Now, were they good? Yeah, that's another story, but I got them out. Right. And I got them onto paper. But my, when I talk about, because people are like, what, did, what was your process? And I'm like, I just opened up a journal and hand wrote them. I didn't sit and type because to me, that was like too stringent. Okay. It was like, okay, sit at a computer and type. I don't know. I, cause then I felt like you had to be somewhere to where if I just had the journal, I could just write it down and I could always erase. And I just sat and did that. And I could always go back and see, no, that's not good. That works. That doesn't. And then I, when I sat down to type, that was the first editing process. Oh, why the heck did I write that? That was okay. No, we're not doing that. But I also learned, I, mean, I knew I was dyslexic, but I learned I was really dyslexic <laughs> when I sat down and we learned that Jarvok's first name was Farjok, but it came out Jarvok when I went to type it. And I went, Jarvok, I went, that's, yeah. I was like, I like that. And I was like, cool, you're Jarvok now. And I could never think of calling him Farjok before. And I was like, yeah, no, that's cool. I was like, he works. Nice. You know, so those like happy little mistakes happened. But now I can't think of him being any other thing. So that's kind of how we worked. And then the heavy duty research started because I was like, you know, before it was like they wore black crystal mm. armor. Now I'm like, well, what armor did, they, you know, what was the crystal? Now I got to go find kyanite. That's what happened. The angelite discs, all that stuff that's when, like I said, flesh to bone mm -hmm. and we start building the body. Oh my gosh. I can't believe that you were not a, a storyteller already at work or in general. And just because this one man kind of gave you, you know, like a little, a little bit of a crack of an open door and you mm -hmm. took it and three volumes later. <laughs> yeah, there we are unbelievable absolutely unbelievable so many great nuggets that i, I want to just kind of reiterate for all of our listeners um going back to that man and you telling a story you know ideas are everywhere i remember hearing that you know people say oh i can't get an idea no they're all just floating around in the air it's just a matter of being receptive yes. you know and and yes. you were receptive mm -hmm. and they are there so you know it's not like uh, Danielle gets all the good ideas and there's nothing left for you. Oh, there's ideas out there. 100%. They're just 100%. Funny. And I'm, I'm just so grateful that you were receptive and kept going with it. Such a great nugget. But I, the other thing that you said just now that I really, really want to reiterate is that you wrote these three books in nine months and then you began the hard work mm -hmm. of research. So, you know, people tend to think okay, I wrote this book, I'm done. And oh. I mean, I certainly understand that, you know, that's a huge accomplishment. What you did after those nine months and you wrote these three books and got down the storyline, and that is huge. And I mm -hmm. certainly don't want to undermine that. And, and for anybody who's writing out there, if that's where you're at and you got to that point, 
yes, celebrate, congratulate mm-hmm. yourself, you did a great job, but you're not done yet. And that's when she started yes. to do the research into mm-hmm. what exactly, she didn't want to just stop with, he was wearing a black crystal armor. No, no, no. There's a lot more than just he was, and a lot of people just leave that on the table. He was yes. wearing a black crystal armor, but no, no, it was a lot more after that. Or, and the dragon came. Nah, there's a lot more going on there. So just your saying that, I so appreciate it because, you know, you might say, I'm not classically trained, mm-hmm. but you are actually mapping out a beautiful arc of writing. And that would go for so many people. First, being receptive to the idea. Just be mm-hmm. open. The, the ideas are out there. Be open. Next, mm-hmm. pour it out. Pour it out however you want. Danielle did it by hand in journals. There is no wrong or right way. If you can type, if you can do it on your finger, some people dictate, you did it by hand, get your story poured out. Mm-hmm. But then don't think you're not done. So there was the, the mm-hmm. creative idea, you know, that yep. spark. There was the pouring out of the story. But now there's this, we got to put some flesh on these bones. You have bones right now. That's right. what you have. And you need to put some flesh on those bones. And in order to do that, yes, whether it's fantasy or any, you, there's research, there's making sure that you are consistent with things over and over and over. There's making sure that things will actually work in this world of yours. And that other people who are experts in crystals or animals mm-hmm. or places will read your book and appreciate that you stuck to it. Because mm-hmm. fantasy readers, and this goes for any genre, but you know, certainly I'm thinking of fantasy, they know these worlds inside and out, believe me. Oh yes, they, they they're mistake. They know it. And I think for anybody who's thinking of wading into these waters, mm-hmm. the biggest thing you have to know going in, you are not gonna please everybody, so don't try. Don't even try it. Get it. And the thing that I, I, I've learned, I've heard this term. I hate when people say you got to get a thick skin going into this. Yes and no. Okay. For your first book, you're never, your skin's never going to be thick enough. So just stop with that. Okay. Just, just throw that out the door. Your skin's never going to be thick enough. You are going to take every criticism to heart, especially your first bad one. Stay off of Goodreads right now. I'm telling you right now, don't go on it. As much as you don't want to hear this, hire somebody or get a good friend to manage that page for you. Because the people are going to say horrible things. Throw it out the door, honey. Throw it out the door right now. Because your first book, you are going to take everything people say to heart. You just start. It's your baby. And for you, you think it's the greatest thing in the world. And I get that. What the biggest thing you have to learn is when you wrote it, that was the place you were at that point in time. Your writing will improve, but at that point, that's where you were. And that's okay. Totally okay. Do you use the word that too much? Do you use the word like? Do you love commas? These are all things that you'll learn as you go. And you have to be gentle with yourself. There are some critiques you have to take. You just do. Mm -hmm. But in the fantasy world, everybody hides behind a keyboard. And some people will love you and some people won't. And then some people just like to critique because they all think they have a book in them. And they all think they can write. It's okay. It's cool. I had to learn it. I'm 
still learning it. I get asked the question, what do you do about the bad critiques? This is what I do. I take the best critique, I take the worst critique and I throw them both out. Because you have to go midline. If you listen to only the good stuff, you'll never improve. If you listen to just the bad stuff, you're gonna jump off a bridge. You gotta go midline, but you can't pander to the market either. Right. Just don't go in thinking you're gonna be the next George R. R. Martin, the next JK Rowling. Don't believe it. It's not, it's a one in a million shot. It's nice to have lofty goals and you should look, shoot for the stars, you'll end up on the moon. That's wonderful. Just go in writing the story that's in your heart and you're okay. You've succeeded because you wrote a book. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. That, that should just be your goal. And if you can make a living and you know, like for me, my goal is to one day be able to buy a house with a nice bag for my pups. If I can do that, I'm good. Do I want a video game and anime? Yeah. <laughs> do I want to see Jason Momoa or, um, Michael B. Jordan one day playing Jarva? Hell yeah, I want that. More than anything, that's a dream. Do I think I'm going to get it? Yeah, in the back of my head, there's a little voice going, you're going to see Jarvok live action one day. That's a goal. But you have to be realistic and you have to go in thinking, it's the best of my abilities, but be gentle with yourself. That's the best you can do. Don't pay too much attention to the haters. That's all you can do. For me, I have a lot of re religious fanatics on my case. Ooh. My book has been, uh, they're petitioning the Vatican to have it removed right now. I have two Christian ethics groups that I will not name, you know, uh, petitioning to have me labeled as a person of blasphemy. You gotta just keep rolling forward. That's the best you can do. So when you're planning these books, whatever book you're writing, as long as it's coming from the heart, you'll be okay. But if you go in saying, I'm going to do it for this market so I can be successful, I don't really know how you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, all the best books were banned. So, Hey, you're in good company. That's what I, I think I've made it now. You know, that's how I do it. Right. I might not be a bestseller, but I'm like, well, I think I'm doing pretty good then. You know? You're doing great. Absolutely. Now I, I have to ask you because you are in front of your inspiration corner. And when we first logged on and I saw that, I said, Oh God, I need, I need my own inspiration corner. So what made you make one and, and what makes things make the grade? That's a great, uh, um, I, you know what? I just feel like a lot of this, because I don't exactly know how it all works in my head. You know, I always joke that there's a lot of voices and they're all clamoring for attention. Um, I try to go with what makes me happy. Okay. And so a lot of it is I'm, I'm a big wonder woman fanatic. So I have my Funko wonder woman figures right uh because wonder woman is always a source of inspiration i had my little picture of drew barrymore from uh ever after up here right. and then i have my uh desdemona and aurora taking the oath picture which uh morgana anagram from instagram actually drew which i love nice and then this is the power brigade helmet worn from the trailer wow so i that's just, I love that piece because, oh, wow. you know, that's kind of a big deal. And then this over here, which is a little hard to see, this is Desdemona's uh, cloak that she wears uh, that we're going to be doing a photo shoot in. Nice. So, you know, I like to actually dress up like the characters. That's my cosplaying background, but 
doing more photo shoots as the characters to bring them to life a little bit more, which helps me as a writer. Right, right. I think that's kind of a big deal because once you can embody them, for me, it helps me then say, okay, they would do this or they wouldn't do that. And that's, that's something that, you know, like I said, kind of helps me when I'm writing. And then I think of movements they would do or wouldn't do. So I'm not just always raising eyebrows or shoulders shrugging because <laughs> that as a writer, once you're reading your own stuff, you start going, wow, I like the shoulder shrug a lot. <laughs> okay. You know, I gotta, I gotta stop doing that or eyebrows knit together. And you're yep, like, yep. okay, maybe yeah. I should, I got to find a new movement for that. <laughs> the emotional thesaurus has been great. So, you know, we have to, we have to work on that. So sometimes actually dressing up like the characters, it also helps when I realize as a martial artist and I've done some of the moves the clothing is a big deal because you realize it's constricting. Mm. They can't move in this. Right, right. So when I do some of the fight scenes, I'll actually go in the backyard and we'll videotape them. Mm -hmm. We use our, the iPhones and we'll actually do them and realize, no, you can't wear a cape. This would not work. That's why for Desdemona, her, her cape is only on one shoulder. Gotcha. Because a cape can be pulled. Right. So you can't wear it when you fight. That's why the power brigade all had short hair. And one of them makes mention of that. And he's like, we all had to keep our hair short because you could pull it in a fight. That makes more sense. Nobody has long flowing hair if you're a fighter. Right, right. So like little things like that make sense. Love that. Now over your right shoulder, is that some mm -hmm. sort of a, an athletic award or what is that? This is actually my silver medal from the world uh, karate championships when I was uh, on the U.S. team. I actually won the silver medal in uh, women's soft style forms. Wow. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. I got to uh, compete in Walt Disney World. Oh. It was the first time the U.S. had hosted uh, the WKA championships in 10 years. So I got to go down, compete, and represent Team USA. So I was really, I was absolutely thrilled because my, uh, my grandfather, my, my, on uh, my dad's side, was actually a friend of Walt Disney. And they had drawn together before he started Walt Disney Studios and everything, but they were friends. They drew together. And when he was giving out his first animation scholarship, he'd invited my grandfather to come work for him. And my grandfather's like, I'm not going to move everybody out to California, you know, and I don't really know how this whole animation thing's going to work out. So I'll stay here. Uh, and then he, Disney actually later gave my grandfather some credit for some of the early silly symphonies because they had drawn them together for the ideas. Nice. So to go there was a big deal for me because I felt like, you know, it was representing my grandfather. And uh, so I got to compete there and it was, you know, it was really nice. And that was the capstone to my career as a competitive martial artist. So that's quite a capstone. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I kind of, yeah, for there, I retired from competing and was like, you know, that was my big deal was to represent, you know, the United States, do my thing. And I got to walk out with Mickey Mouse. And, you know, I was pretty excited about that, to be honest. Oh, yeah. you know, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, you know, when it comes down to storytelling, I think Jim Henson and Walt Disney did it really, really well, followed probably by George Lucas when it comes to just telling a good, clean, good, evil story. Mm -hmm. I think those guys really do it well. And you throw in some comic books and that's, I, I'd like to tell you, oh no, I read Jane Austen and I've read all, no, <laughs> it really comes down to comic books, the Muppets and a good Disney princess and Star Wars. And 
that's that's my literary you know throw a man rice in there I'm good you know I don't I don't have that pedigree that literary pedigree that everybody claims to oh, have. I'm loving your pedigree don't worry about it you know I, I Wonder Woman comic throw on the Star Wars marathon give me the Muppets and we're all good absolutely absolutely now I see a map on the pillow behind you what is that map of Oh, this is actually the veil. This is the map in the front of the book. Look at that. Okay, I couldn't see it behind you. That's fabulous. Yeah, yeah. This is, I like to have, I like to be surrounded by the veil. You know, I feel like you create the world. You got to live in it. Yeah. So, you know, even my little dragons um, are, my white deer is my, uh, my little dog, Penelope. Carlos is around here. So my dogs are in the book. So they're always with me. I had to make them characters because why not? Uh, everybody in the book is pretty much based off of somebody I know or somebody I'd like to know, um, you know, but uh, Hoggle, the metalsmith, uh, is my dad. Mm-hmm. Marco is my uncle Ronnie because they were the only two that could work together. I have several uncles, but my uncle Ronnie and my dad were the only ones who could actually work together in the shop. So that's why they're together. Uh, you know, my pups, Lady Serena is my best friend from high school. Mm. Uh, Jen, it's all, I pulled from everybody from real life because that's, that's kind of how I knew to do it. Um, and then, like I said, my pups, how can I not? Of course. I mean, who doesn't want to think of their dog, look at their little dog and think you're a dragon. Right here in my office next to me at all times. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I look at, I look at Carlos and I think, he's a dragon in his mind. You know, he's a nine pound Yorkie. Of course he thinks he's like this big dragon. Uh, He'll probably get his own book eventually. (laughs) You know, I'm working on something for him right now because I think I've learned so much from watching him. Right. And I, I've already kind of joked with the title of, you know, Los's guide to life. Why blend when you can stand out a chameleon's guide because I just, I look at him and he's happy all the time. And I think when you adopt a dog, you're learning unconditional love in a new way. Right. So I think, uh, I think Los will be making an appearance and doing his own book eventually. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I, I, I cannot imagine that anyone's listening and they're not grabbing a pen to get started because you laid out such a fabulous, it's almost like follow the yellow brick road. This is how I did it. You know, and I appreciate that. It's easy. I like to say it's easy, but I know it's, I know it's not because believe oh, me, I had sleepless work. nights. Oh, absolutely. It's work. It's, I had sleepless nights. The best way I can say it and the way I did it was after I got done writing a chapter that day or editing a chapter, I'd replay it in my head as if I was watching a TV show. Ooh. And if I got bored, the reader was bored. Mm. So I would rewind it and play it a different way. And then if that way struck me, I would literally keep a notepad by my bed and write it like, okay, no, I gotta, I gotta change this. Right, right. And I think now that might not work for everybody, but like I said, if, if you're a pop culture or a TV person, you kind of get it. But I wanted each chapter to end on somebody going, what the hell's happened? All right, I gotta read the next one. Ah. Because I think I like that old show Heroes. I don't know if you remember that show Heroes, Save the Cheerleader, yep, Save yep. the World. Mm-hmm. The first two seasons, amazing, amazing. Then after that, I don't know what the heck happened to the show. But those first two seasons, every time that show ended, I would go, what is happening on this show? I can't wait for next week. 
that's how I approached it. Like, I want you to finish reading a chapter going, what the heck is happening? And almost to the point where you were a little confused, like, where is she going with this? I've got to get to the next one. Fabulous. Because I think that's how you kind of have to do it. Because everything now is about instant gratification. You can binge watch a show. You can binge a podcast. You can get to it immediately. I think we're missing that slow burn now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the book, you know, you might say the first 50 pages, oh, it's a slow, but it's world building. Yes, but you need to pace yourself a little bit. And you can now kind of control, do I want to read the next 50? Because like the next page, I really want to get to the next chapter. I want to get to it. But I can decide if, you know, we'll self-control. Because mm-hmm. now you can't read book two yet. I haven't put it out. So I'm kind of I'm trying to compete with Netflix. I'm trying to compete with Hulu. It's still, you know, it's hard. Mm-hmm. So I think people kind of have to go back and decide what their technique is. Right. But maybe look at it kind of the same way you you look at Netflix and see what your favorite show is and decide if maybe that's a technique for you. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but try to find your inspiration. Maybe it's a playlist, you know, maybe just go around and see what's around you. There's a lot of historical places right in your own hometown. Go check them out. There might be a story in there. You, you never know. So I think inspiration is everywhere. You just have to be open to it. But the minute you say, oh, I can't write, you're already defeated. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's already done. So just look around a little bit and try. Yeah. You never know. I, I didn't think I'd be here. I mean, my life was planned out. I was going to PA school. I was doing this. I was doing that. It was the road was set. It just took that one patient saying something to me. And everything, all the plans scattered. Like somebody just took the chessboard and wiped all the pieces off. Wow. You never know. And now here I am talking to you. That's right. Here you are. And not just talking to me, but inspiring a whole lot of other people, which I'm so thrilled. Um, I always want us to inspire writers, but also readers. So all of you readers out there, Birth of the Fae by Danielle Orsino. It's available and you better grab it because book two, we're going to keep nagging her until we get it. <laughs> on its way. It's, it's already done. It. It's going into layout. It's almost done. Ooh. Yeah, it's almost ready. All right. So read book one so you can grab book two when it's ready. And whether you want to read or whether you want to read and write, Danielle has really given us quite a lot of inspiration. Danielle, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. You've been fabulous. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us for Once in Future Authors. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Reviews help other interested listeners to find the show, so your review could launch new books every day. Thanks again for joining us, and happy writing!